The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, as it's Monday, November 6th, 2023. This week is the general manager meetings as they are hosted at Scottsdale, Arizona, GMs and other baseball executives will hear about the upcoming rule changes for the offseason and the 2024 regular season. Unlike last year, where there was many rule changes, we're not expecting a lot of rule changes. There will be some conversations, though, about the automated strike zone. But this week is where ideas of how teams will target players this upcoming offseason and the biggest agents will be in attendance, especially Scott Boris, as they have conversations with teams about their clients. There's one early rumor for the White Sox we'll discuss, but what everyone is talking about is the business decisions that were made by Chris Getz and the new White Sox front office by declining the options for Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks. Joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis, and Jim... It is a bit bittersweet with both Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks not returning to the Chicago White Sox, but these are business decisions that we were expecting to be made by the White Sox. Yeah, I would say it's probably mostly bitter in terms of like neither of these are are good news. Bad things had to have happened in order to decline uh, Tim Anderson's last club option year and Liam Hendricks's fourth year. But yeah, rolling the decisions around um, trying to figure out like what kind of trade value, what kind of uh, things can the White Sox do with the money? What does the payroll look like without them on it? Uh, What are their ambitions and so forth? It was really hard to make a case for offering the option as it stood to each. Like, with Liam Hendricks, given that he was working his way back, you could maybe think of doing some kind of rework thing to where you uh, take some of the club option and put it into deferred money and then maybe rework like a you know extra year on the deal once he comes back from Tommy John surgery. But 
It also sounds like more work than it's worth for the White Sox based on where they are and probably more work than Liam Hendricks needs based on where he is and just like he might benefit from having an open market a year from now. Uh, so like he might be best off sitting out and following the lead of Jake Berger and Keenan Middleton realizing like, oh, it's way better when you go to another team. <laughs> as much as I, you know, as much as he's saying he loved uh, playing for the White Sox and loved, you know, being a, uh, a, a citizen of Chicago and being, you know, a very valuable member of just, I think what the White Sox are trying to do and, and what the White Sox project themselves as being, um, you know, probably makes sense for him in terms of his career to look for the best possible deal and continue being that best human being uh, anywhere else, basically. Let's start with Tim Anderson recapping as far as his tenure with the White Sox, because obviously it is a much longer track record. He burst onto the scene in 2016 and wearing number 12 back then, and then eventually changing his number to number seven. And from his age 23 to age 30 season, Tim Anderson, during the his White Sox career, hit 282 with a 312 on base percentage, slugged 422. His OPS plus with the White Sox compared to league average was 99, so he was slightly below league average. He was definitely not that. From 2019 to 2021, those were the prime years for Tim Anderson as he finished with 98 homers, but he had over 1,000 hits with the White Sox over that time, winning the batting title in 2019, providing huge moments for the White Sox. Of course, everybody remembers to feel the dreams walk-off home run against the New York Yankees, making the All-Star team, and honestly, after the 2018 season, I really didn't think... Anderson was going to get there. None of us really did. Uh, the passing of his best friend really impacted him, but he was able to make some amazing adjustments, especially in the box where sliders killed him. And then in 2019, he learned how to hit a slider and not just to put the ball in play. He was slugging against breaking pitches. And that's what made Tim Anderson a fearsome hitter in that three-year span from 2019 to 2021. He was a big reason why the White Sox won the up and up, along with the other young core members that the White Sox acquired in the rebuild. Tim Anderson leading off was a big reason why that offense was successful when it was clicking. When it wasn't clicking, Anderson, as the saying went, as he goes, so do the White Sox. And Jim, they lose 101 games this year. And Tim Anderson is worth negative two war, according to baseballreference.com. And entering this season, Tim Anderson was actually had the fifth highest career war for White Sox shortstops in franchise history. And this season dropped him to seventh, in which he's slightly behind Jose Valentin, which let's don't forget about Valentin. He was very good for the White Sox at a short span. Anderson's career war with the White Sox is at 16.2. Jose Valentin is at 16.9. Alexei Ramirez, 23 career war during his tenure with the White Sox, is second all-time. And then Ozzie Guillen, third, 19 and a half. For those that are listening, these are the shortstops that you have watched. And if you remember watching Luke Appling and you are listening to this podcast, bless your soul for continuing to be a White Sox fan for that long. But Jim, you know, when it comes to Anderson's legacy, this is where it is a bit bittersweet because you have all of these amazing memories when things were good with the Chicago White Sox. And I don't want to get into the off the field stuff, but on the field, he was very entertaining, especially for that three-year run. 
and mm-hmm. he was one of the best White Sox shortstops in franchise history. And I know that's not saying much because there's not a deep history, but he was a very productive player. Yeah, and he was worth the weight and the effort to develop him. Uh, the White Sox really haven't had that rich of a draft history when it comes to uh converting uh, on their first round picks or their top picks, especially like when it comes to uh, they had that run of athletes uh, that, you know, Kenny Williams liked to draft the multi sports stars, uh, Josh Fields, <laughs> Joe Borchard, uh, Courtney Hawkins was along those lines of just being somebody who's an athlete. Can he play baseball? Uh, we'll see. And then, I mean, Hawkins was a, a different matter. Jared Mitchell too, like also rushed and injured and rushed back from injury. So they, they really, you know, killed whatever chance they had of becoming productive players. But Tim Anderson was the exception and it took a while, but he was also like young, you know, he drafted out of junior college. So he had some years to take some lumps and still be able to be around for the peak of his, you know, his prime years athletically. And he figured out how to make it work. Just a a very unique way of going about his business with just how big his hitting zone was. And uh, it's not something you can teach to other players. Like, oh, just take the slider that's three inches off the plate to right field for a single uh, seven times out of 10 seemingly. You know, he had that ability to do that, whereas most people don't swing and miss. Uh, He had to, you know, he could um, easily get the bat around to stuff inside if it hung inside, but he could also cover the outside corner and pitches off it. And that's why he could... Babip, you know, near 400 in some seasons. So like that was cool to see. And I think, you know, there's an, yeah, I think you could say this about a few players uh, where just like their path paralleled the path of the rebuild or the White Sox overall, like the, you know, rising up and then kind of crashing down. Like Lance Lynn was similar in terms of like when they acquired him, uh, he peaked in 2021 in terms of offering the White Sox what they thought they're going to get. And then 2022, uh, you know, not so much 2023, you know, kind of all falls apart. Uh, so like, it's not just Anderson who's responsible, but like he has even, you know, goes back even longer to 2019 where the White Sox in 2019 were entertaining, not quite good, but you could see the pieces of the team forming and the effort was fine and they're watchable. So like when he started putting it together, you could see like, Oh, there's kind of a team here. There's, there's an infield here with Moncon on the left side. There's a, there's a detectable strength of this team. And then 2020, you know, with the, even with the shortened season, uh, get to the postseason 2021 win it. And, you know, he's putting up four win seasons and which is what, you know, you kind of hoped he would do at some point when he's a first round pick and here he is doing it. And the team's coming together around him and, He's a very marketable player, charismatic on the field. Uh, and it seems like, you know, he's going to be the White Sox star and the, the most marketable player. And then just, you know, whether it's injuries, off the field stuff, team failure around him, just kind of all just work together, just get kind of, you know, a co- more stronger than coincided since he played a part of it. But like, you know, like things like Eloy Jimenez keeping, keeping, uh, getting injured and Yohan Makata not getting it going. Like all of it uh, just coagulated basically into this mess that now Chris Getz has to clean up. And yeah, I was a little bit surprised by how surprised some fans were or upset. You know, maybe not fans so much, but maybe like uh, some people in the podcast sphere or media sphere, sports radio sphere saying like, wow, I can't believe they did it. And like, 
I can see that in a way just because he has been the face of everything. But when you look at what Chris Getz has to do, which is shave money off the payroll or stop devoting so many resources to players who either get hurt or when they're healthy, you're not sure what they do well. Anderson's that guy right now. You know, he's, he's topped out at 123 games over the last five years. Every other year he plays 123 games in the years in between he plays less. And when he was healthy last year, like what did he do well? The, the batting average dried up. The power was non-existent. Couldn't play defense. Ran okay, but you know, couldn't get on base to really showcase his wheels. So like, what did he bring to the table? And it's it's hard to say. Yeah, yeah you might not want to say what that answer is. And I, I think the managing of Pedro Grafol had a hand in that, just keeping running him out there top of the order. Uh, you know, not managing Anderson, not imposing consequences for a poor play or... Uh, a body that's not able to provide what he used to provide. And so I, I think just the White Sox took what was a flawed player and blew up those flaws, like exacerbated him to where he was the worst regular in baseball, according to baseball reference. And now like the White Sox have to cut him because I think they looked around to see if they could trade him for anything like the, uh, like the uh, Brewers did with Mark Canna. And you know, just for anybody who you know might want to make use of that option and, couldn't find a taker. So like when you look at what Anderson did and like, is he worth 14 million? Like not even close. So if the White Sox have to try to get out from under this and try to figure out like how to get more play discipline, how to get better defense, how to get healthier players, like Anderson's time just happened to be up in terms of like, well, his contract options up, uh, I guess here's our, here's our way to get out of this. Uh, here's our way to start turning over a roster spot for somebody who might be able to help more. And like if it were Eloy Jimenez coming up first, they do the same thing. Or Yohan Mankata coming up first, they do the same thing, but it just happened to be Anderson's turn. So Anderson's the one who has to go. We had this conversation about this particular decision, who was going to be making this decision. And we were wondering if, like, if Jerry Reinsdorf was going to step in and make this decision for Chris Getz. How are you feeling, Jim, about the decision-making process here? Because I'm not getting a lot of vibes that Jerry has been all that involved. And when we heard about Tony La Russa being in the meetings, I, in the last podcast episode, we talked about and how, well, maybe La Russa will stump for mm-hmm. Tim Anderson because La Russa loved managing for Tim Anderson. But with the White Sox declining this option because they could not trade Tim Anderson, and according to USA Today's Bob Nightingale, who gets the best dope uh, as far as information from the Chicago White Sox of all the national reporters, wrote in his Sunday column that the White Sox tried to trade Tim Anderson, but nobody was interested in trading for Tim Anderson, that maybe this decision is on Chris Getz. And Chris Getz is actually in charge and he may have multiple advisors, but it's Chris Getz making that call, Jim. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you feel about the decision-making process? Because again, for the last decade of us podcasting, we've had to had, we've had this debate on who's actually making the mm-hmm. decision here. It might be very clear this time around. Yeah. I think right now you can say like either it's Chris Getz or, you know, like in this case, like it might've been slightly imposed by Jerry Reinsdorf. He says you have to cut money and where are you going to cut money from? This is the easiest way to shed uh, 13 million from the payroll if you want to try to reallocate it. But no, it was, 
seemed like a pretty straightforward decision and it was made in a straightforward fashion, you know, waiting a day. They had the Clevenger announcement. They had the Liam Hendricks announcement and then they waited a day and then Tim Anderson's news came. So it did seem like they were trying to uh, make some calls, shoot some texts, try to gauge the market, whether it's for trading him right now before exercising the option or trading him after exercising the option and probably looked like it was another Craig Kimbrell situation to where if they picked him up, then they'd just be sitting right. with him for the entire winter, if not even longer into the season. And if you don't want him, and if, if like Anderson can sense that, and you know, a lot of people are saying he's a change of scenery candidate. Well, like if he's playing for a team that doesn't want him and he could have um, played for another team last year, like if his performance picked up, like if that was enough to like motivate him, if it was a question of motivation versus like, physically not being able to due to injuries. Like you would think that that trade deadline would have uh, posed a great opportunity for him to uh, get that change of scenery he wanted. And he just couldn't quite rally for that. And so like now you're looking at another season of where like, well, if that motivation wasn't a difference maker and it's more about like whether he can just get the job done or not, then right now the answer looks like more likely than not that he's not going to get the job done to a level of being worth 14 million. And if, even if you wait for him to get to the deadline, like maybe even then he's not doing enough well to where other teams are interested. So it does seem, did seem like a straightforward decision. And so I think, you know, gets, I'm not sure he passes a test yet, but it just like, it does indicate a level of where he's at. I think the key for me in terms of trying to figure out if this is any different is what gets does now with this opportunity in the middle infield. It's, it's kind of an opportunity born out of emergency in which like who's going to play second base and shortstop uh, the options on hand are pretty dire, but we saw with the white Sox with the Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams era, like, they very or they did very little with these audition opportunities or with these extra bench spots. Like every year is Adam Engel, every year is Danny Mendick, every year is Larry Garcia. They never really sought fringe options who might be more. And now I guess the benefit of having Anderson out of the way, uh, at least for the time being, is you have an opportunity to give guys playing time, like lengthy auditions for players who might be blocked elsewhere, who might have hit a wall elsewhere, who might be in a professional rut. And if you have an idea for how to get them out of it, like here's a chance to try to pick up somebody on the cheap or somebody who's, uh, uh, you know, might be packaged in an, another trade or might be kind of uh, let go because of numbers on the 40 man roster. Like there are opportunities here to play some guys and audition them and give them all the time in the world to see if they click. And we'll see if Getz is more proactive when it comes to that, because Rick Hahn really was not, uh, he really did not take advantage of any fringe roster spot to try to bring in somebody who could be better than the quadruple a options they had on hand. They brought in a lot of new faces, though. 2021, Jake Lamb, Brian Goodwin. Like, they brought in, got Clint Frazier this year. I don't think Trace Thompson counts. I mean, they've tried. They've just brought in Well, I mean, really that was during players. the season. I'm talking about, like, the off-season, though. Oh, off-season. Like, yes. Yeah, off-season. Like, you know, kind of uh, trying to rework and, and actually plan for these guys in your system, whether it's in Charlotte and get them ready for the major leagues. Yeah. Like that 2021 year is like masterfully done in terms of like waiver wire fodder turned into temporary contributors in the team. But that was all basically by the seat of their pants and uh, you know, getting some 
you know, good fortune in terms of having these guys come available when needed. Clint Frazier was along those lines. Like that's one where like, yeah, that kind of made sense for the White Sox to try him out. But uh, I think with the off season, with the, you know, teams shedding some 40 man players, you know, looking to trade some guys who might be blocked to uh, change up their depth chart. Like the White Sox need to get in on that because they have all the opportunities in the world on either side of second base. Yeah, right now it's Lenin Sosa and Zach Remillard as your projected middle infield. Some would say Romy Gonzalez. Let's really not have this argument because none of these guys are major leaguers. Uh, so the White Sox have some work to do up the middle, but there is a lesson to be learned in the last few years of covering White Sox baseball, and that is never say never. And Jim, I am not ready to say like goodbye Tim Anderson period it's more like goodbye Mm -hmm. Tim Anderson (laughs) like the question like is this the end like right now he's not on the White Sox but if Anderson's not signed and it's February 1st and let's say Chris Getz just could not find any middle infield help because teams are holding on to those middle infield prospects like they're diamonds would you entertain the idea or should the White Sox think about bringing back Anderson on one of these like three, five, seven million dollar contracts they've done in the past? I guess that would tell us about how or I guess what they think of Tim Anderson with regards to his presence on the team in the clubhouse, etc. Because I think a lot of fans don't quite know when it came to the chemistry, the leadership, the efforts on the field, uh, players, policing players, like, you know, Eloy Jimenez shrugging when asked like who's in charge and like, you know, Michael Kopech when asked to name a leader, he names like seven leaders or seven veterans who are kind of leaders and uh, not really having a hierarchy in the clubhouse. And like Anderson was very much a, I think he's a tone setter, whether he is a leader or whether he was assumed to be a leader, but not much one. Like, I don't really know. Uh, and I, I don't feel comfortable saying, and I, so I don't feel comfortable saying like they need to get rid of him and change things up. Like he might've been fine and just might not have been like the quintessential leader, but also might not have gummed up the works for somebody who wanted to be more of a leader. So if they want to change the tone, like he might go along with it. Like I can't say that for sure. Uh, but yeah, if he's around like on the Elvis Andrews deal for 3 million, like baseball wise, it would make sense to give him that opportunity because the White Sox, like he can theoretically play on either side of second base. The White Sox need options. He might be somebody who could be traded um, middle of the season to a team that could use a middle infielder. And maybe they get that uh, A-ball prospect that fans were hoping they would get this time around uh, before they declined his option. So Baseball-wise, there would be an argument for seeing what Tim Anderson could bring to a team at a far lower rate. Uh, But if they let the opportunity pass, like if Anderson's around for a while and ultimately doesn't come back, we'll say like he signed, you know, let's just throw a team out there. Like he signs with the Angels for $4 million. Like a team not connected to the White Sox, you know, don't really overlap with the White Sox. He signs with the Angels for $4 million. Yeah, I can imagine maybe a Bob Nightingale column next Sunday saying like, you know, before signing with the Angels, like Anderson's camp connected with the White Sox and they were not interested. Yeah, I can see like some kind of uh, uh, Bob Nightingale leak telling us like 
what the White Sox interest was or wasn't uh, for Tim Anderson. Like, I think that could tell us a little bit of just how much they wanted to change, like regardless of whether Anderson was really a problem, maybe they just didn't want to bring him back and just have to deal with like what the hierarchy used to be and what they want to be now. when Anderson's not going to be around so long, but does bring in some clout that he had left over from the previous administration. So to me, it seems like more of an interpersonal decision among like what the White Sox want to do uh, and, and like who they want to have in charge and what kind of opportunities they want to provide. Like if they just want to be done with Anderson, not because of like, you know, anything personally, but just because like they, they know he's not going to be around after 2024. So they just want to use that to audition Lenin Sosa, Jose Rodriguez, and then guys who are out of the organization and really gear up for 2025 Colson Montgomery, you know, having the path ultimately paved for him, then it just might not be worth like all of the, I guess just the obstacles or baggage or whatever you, you, you have to try to turn over the clubhouse. What I don't want is like Chris gets making the decision because like Griffol was incapable of managing Tim Anderson or incapable of like, setting standards for him. You know, he had no problem, uh, you know, riding Oscar Colas and Griffol had no problems benching Corey Lee for not running out of grounder, but like Anderson, he just left alone. Jimenez, he left alone and, and let them just kind of play at half power over and over and over again without any kind of professional consequences. And if Getz wants to avoid Anderson because Griffol can't manage him, like that's what I don't want. So I'm hoping if they don't bring back Anderson and Anderson would have been amenable to like three or 4 million, uh, that's because they want to make use of this year to try to give plate appearances to guys who might be around for longer than 2024 and supplement a middle infield or an infield that has Montgomery and Ramos and whoever else. That doesn't sound like a contending plan. I don't think they can contend. I, I know yeah. we don't think they can contend, but like I wrote in my off-season plan project, Chris Getz needs to pretend that he is working to make the White Sox a contender in 2024 to convince his 87-year-old boss that they will play better and they will actually compete for the AL Central title. But the reality is they're not trying to block and they're not trying to trade away their best prospects in which they are planning to be part of the 26-man roster in 2025, probably even earlier, maybe the second half of 2024, and beyond. Uh, so it's a Chris Getz has got a tough job, but he's made some tough decisions already. We talked about one. They have declined the option in Tim Anderson. We'll talk about Liam Hendricks and his contract being declined and the latest rumors heading into the GM meetings after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We'll go back to the Sox Machine podcast. All right, we talked about Tim Anderson's option being declined. The White Sox also declined the option on Liam Hendricks. While Tim Anderson just gets $1 million in cash, Hendricks is going to receive $1.5 million over the next 10 seasons as the White Sox avoid paying Hendricks for $15 million in 2024. A reminder, in case you've been living under, under a rock, Hendricks had Tommy John surgery, and he is not expected to pitch again at the earliest until August. Uh, so there is a good chance that Hendricks might miss the entire 2024 season, or if he does come back, is only able to pitch for a month in the major leagues. I think everyone is eyeing to where Hendricks will be for the 2025 season, so that short-term possibility 2024 could help him uh, ramp up to whatever full-time closer jobs are open in 2025 and beyond. For Liam Hendricks, when he was with the Chicago White Sox, he led the league in saves with 38 back in 2021. In 2022, he had 37 saves. Uh, and then obviously this past year, due to cancer and arm injuries, only pitched five innings, which is an amazing feat for what Liam Hendricks had to overcome to just be able to pitch in 2023 uh unfortunately again though he had the arm injury and now we'll see where his future is because he will turn 35 this upcoming season can he regain his fastball velocity there's a lot of questions for the other 29 teams jim but for the chicago white Sox, it does sound like they're going to allow hendrix to continue rehabbing uh using their facilities down in glendale arizona so that's a very nice gesture by the Chicago White Sox as Hendricks tries to convince other major league teams that he can still be a major league closer. What do you make of Hendricks's near future here, Jim? Do you think that he can get signed this upcoming offseason? There have been some deals. You know, Tommy Canley came to mind. I think Garrett Richards was another one where just teams signed them a year early and then had like a deal where the first year was – uh, a lot smaller of a contract in the second year, 
backloaded contract because of the anticipated playing time. So if Hendricks was available to pitch uh, for the you know August or probably more likely September, and then a full season in 2025, like that would make sense for uh, a team signing him. I think, however, like Hendricks is so accomplished, whereas like somebody like Canely, who at his stage of the career was just looking to probably get a, any kind of significant payday. Like if somebody's offering him like 5 million for two years, like, yeah, he'll take that. Cause he just hasn't earned that much. Whereas Hendricks has already had like one major deal to where like he can be pickier, uh, with getting the right possible team. I could see like teams being interested. Um, it might make more sense if he like waits a little bit just to have a showcase, maybe, in the middle of the season when he's throwing again and sell his services to highest bidder uh, at, after the deadline and the, and the more in uh, like a team that might be close to postseason ready. Uh, like you can kind of gauge a contender and see what team could use them and uh, sign like a deal that's prorated to cover like the last couple months of the season. So I think he can, you know, he's accomplished enough to where like he has the credibility and uh, the, the name brand, track record where teams would be interested if he's set back free and on schedule to make appearances in August and September, but probably given the track record of like Tommy John uh, surgeries and players needing like a couple months to get command back. Like I could, I, I can imagine him not wanting to discount his services for 2025, like not letting 2024 get in the way of like how much he could make once he's fully recovered and has some, appearances under him going into the 2025 season. So I think it could be wait and see uh, if he's able to appear at all in, in 2024. You might see him have a showcase in May or something like that, that uh, where teams start to line up and put him in their second half plans. What was impressive with Liam Hendricks's time with the White Sox, even though it was short-lived, was in 2021 to appear in 69 games, the have 38 saves and pitch 71 innings. 113 strikeouts to just seven walks. Like that is, that's amazing. I don't know when we're going to see another white Sox pitcher in the upcoming future gym have a hundred or more strikeouts and fewer than 10 walks. Like, I don't know when we're going to see that feat again. Yeah. It's uh you know, and remember when he was signed with the white Sox, looking at his numbers now, uh, he came into the season yeah, from his last full season with the A's, 124 strikeouts, 21 walks, and thinking like, well, if he can, you know, have that same anywhere close to that uh, strikeout to walk ratio, like he'll be pretty incredible. And then he goes and tops it. Like sometimes he was, I think, a little bit too unwilling to walk uh, guys, and that's why he gave up 11 homers and seven winnings. That was like his uh, lone uh, flaw was that sometimes he wanted to get back in the count a little too badly versus setting himself up better against the next hitter and getting in trouble a little bit that way. But yeah, otherwise he delivered on his contract, like when he was healthy, I think, and we didn't know this in 2022 and maybe he didn't even know it either is that like he only pitched in 58 games and only threw 57 innings in 2022. And we were hoping to see like more multi-inning appearances, more back-to-back days, more of a workhorse who could, uh, put together long saves and he was limited to an inning. Like he'd pitched the ninth inning, but not the 10th. If it went to extra innings and realizing like, yeah, why did they invest so much money in a guy who can only throw one inning? Like the white Sox needed so much more. And then it turned out that, you know, 
he didn't quite know why he was gassed or why he wasn't able to um, rebound the way that he had in previous seasons. And it turns out that, you know, cancer was already kind of taking hold and robbing his stamina. And, uh, you know, it was unfortunate that the White Sox couldn't like get the guy they thought they were signing. But in, in this case, it's just like an unthinkable reason why versus, you know, age-related decline or just typical reliever volatility. Like even when he was like in a slightly diminished state in 2022, he was very, very good. So the White Sox got the guy they thought they were signing until unthinkable circumstances uh, you know, like came in and just, uh, you know, diminished uh, his overall effect. But it's not like the David Robertson signing, which is what I thought the White Sox might be getting into where they signed a good reliever coming off a great season to a great contract and being slightly disappointing. Like Hendricks was as good as the White Sox thought he was going to be until just he wasn't, you know, he had to take time off for obvious reasons. The problem is, is that the White Sox were willing to spend $15 million a season on a closer mm-hmm. and not on a right fielder. Yeah. Like that's, that's or where the discussion in tenure. Yeah. And or continuing they, to sign relievers. Yeah. If they signed Hendricks and then like said like, that's our, that's our big bullpen expenditure. That would have been fine. Or if they signed like, uh, you know, Graveman and, and Kelly to be kind of like closerish relievers, but develop somebody who's better for the ninth inning. Sure. That would have been great. But to sign all of that and just concentrate so much money and effort into signing and trading for relievers, uh, you know, in, in the case of Garrett Crochet, drafting relievers, so much capital went into the bullpen mm-hmm. that, you know, just it all looked like a waste. Uh, and it, and there were multiple off ramps to where like, you know, Rick Hahn could have stopped spending at any point and redirected resources elsewhere. And just, he couldn't, or, or whether, you know, whoever mandated it, uh, could not break their addiction to the Hawk Harrelson. Uh, it's a battle of the bullpens and the better bullpen wins. And like, yeah, as if they have leads and it turns out the white Sox just didn't have enough leads to, to make that uh, 40, $50 million bullpen, uh, worth, uh, you know, worth its weight. Yeah, make sure you have an answer at every spot in your lineup before signing closers to $15 million contracts. That's the lesson there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, moving forward, I hope that Chris Getz and the White Sox front office and ownership uh, take that lesson to heart. It's nothing against Liam Hendricks. It's just the way that the White Sox constructed the roster. Hendricks probably should have had multiple 40-save seasons with the Chicago White Sox, just offensively they fell short and now Hendricks becomes a free agent. And uh, I, I do like your idea, Jim of Hendricks waiting out as far as the market, having a showcase when he can throw again and he feels healthy enough to have a bullpen session, probably in Glendale, Arizona uh, and uh, see what team in the stretch run could add Hendricks to their bullpen and trying to make it the postseason and guarantee a contract in 2025 that he could help them out in high leverage situations. Now to the GM meetings rumor that we talked about at the beginning part of the show. And there were a few tidbits from Bob Nightingale in USA Today. He talked about Hendricks in which he wonders if other MLB owners will take the angle that Jerry Reinsdorf did with Liam Hendricks, that with the contract option, decided to defer that type of money over the next decade. Jim, I know you did the math for SoxMachine.com. When you factor in the value of money over time, the White Sox might be saving themselves a couple of million dollars because one and a half million in 2023 is not going to be 
the same or be valued the same in 2030 and beyond. Uh, so for the math geeks uh, that are listening to this, uh, maybe you appreciate that type of decision the White Sox have made or Jerry Reinsdorf. Uh, I don't think other teams are going to do this, but other teams have like the Washington Nationals and their deferred contracts into like the 2040. So we'll see what how that hurts him when they have to re- start paying Max Scherzer again <laughs> for his time with the, the ball club. Uh, and there was uh, the tidbit as well from Nyan Gale that the White Sox did try to trade Tim Anderson. But the one that I am curious about and how this offseason will go, because so many teams need starting pitching, and this is a deepish class when it comes to starting pitching help. Uh, but maybe not as many top guys available in this free agency class that teams are looking for like an ace or a number two in their starting rotation. And that is Dylan Cease. And the White Sox are not shopping Dylan Cease. Chris Getz is not going out there asking teams what they are willing to offer for Dylan Cease. That would be shopping Dylan Cease. Instead, teams are going to be calling or have been calling the White Sox still about what it could take in acquiring Dylan Cease. Jim, I'm pretty certain that on opening day, Dylan Cease is going to be the starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox because, boy, if you trade Dylan Cease, you got to find a whole new rotation for this upcoming season. And I just don't know how you could sell the idea that, hey, we're contending to win the American League Central in 2024 by trading Dylan Cease. But what do you think the likelihood is of Cease possibly getting dealt this offseason? Well, Scott Merkin has been saying that you know, from what he hears and talking to people that they're not going to do a teardown. Like it's not going to be a rebuilding. You can argue like rebuilding versus retooling versus retrenching. And you know, wondering if there's a distinction without a difference, but I think the difference would be like getting rid of guys, you know, just for the sake of prospects versus just letting, yeah, I consider like retooling or retrenching, just like letting some contracts expire, like letting Yuan Moncada melt off the books letting you know, Eloy Jimenez try to prove himself or option out of him when he uh, gets that point in his contract. Like that strikes me as more of a retooling. And, you know, if they produce great, if they don't, like you're still internally and externally accumulating players or developing them towards 2025. Whereas like a teardown or rebuilding would be trading something like Dylan Cease for prospects uh, because that just, you know, he's not going to be around for, uh, yeah, he could theoretically contribute to a 2025 team and be somebody who's very sorely needed for that 2025 team. Instead, they're just going to uh, punt the entire rotation, basically, and hope it all comes together by like 25 or 26. So that's why, like, based on that kind of cue, it would strike me as like, I don't know, like 15% maybe chance that he's dealt. Like, if you were dealt, like, it wouldn't shock me. I'd be surprised but you'd make the same arguments for trading him that we'd made for trading him at the deadline just happens to be like, you know, the, you know, three months later, three baseball months later. So like, can't be that surprised if he's dealt this time around, but it would be a signal that uh, it's going to get darker before it gets lighter uh, when it comes to the on-field product, which might be fine. Like there were arguments for trading cease at the deadline, but just that happened to be like before we knew how bad Michael Kopech was going to get uh, and not realizing like, yeah, Lucas Giolito is not going to be around. Like they just, when you, 
at before like all the other pitchers are traded and you're left with that empty of a cupboard and realizing like, Ooh, there's just nobody here. How do you get through four innings, much less six of them? Yeah. This upcoming free agency class, when it comes to starting pitching, uh, there is the, why am I blanking on his name? The Japanese pitcher that was just posted Yamamoto. I believe so. Yeah. It's, I've, uh... Yeah. Yoshinobu Yamamoto has been posted and it sounds like it, cause he's just 25 years old. And even though he is a bit undersized, he's five eleven. electric stuff. We saw in the world baseball classic, he dazzled again in the Japanese world series uh, that just happened. And the big teams that need starting pitching help, their GMs were in attendance. It sounds like that Yamamoto is going to be someone that's going to be getting 200 million plus dollars from a major league team. And that is eye opening uh, before free agency starts. And he's going to be a hot commodity. We know Blake Snell more, more than likely is going to be winning the national league, uh, national league Cy Young. He is going to have a huge demand. Aaron Nola is going to have a huge demand. And it sounds like that he and the Philadelphia Phillies are far apart in negotiations. So it sounds like the Phillies might not be able to bring back Aaron Nola. Out of those three, and of course there's Shohei Otani, but Otani's not going to be able to pitch this upcoming season, and he's coming off. He'll be coming off his second elbow surgery, so there'll be some questions of what kind of pitcher he's going to be in 2025 and beyond. But outside of those three, I think Jordan Montgomery's a frontline starter, and he's going to make some coin here. But for major league teams looking for frontline starters, if you don't win the Yamamoto sweepstakes, if you don't get Snell, if you don't get Nola, I wonder those teams that lose out on those three starting pitchers turn to Chris Getz and start bugging him about what it would take to get Dylan Cease. And yeah, we could have that debate. Uh, and I think White Sox fans have soured on Cease for the most part of how he pitched in 2023. Yes, he was bad. Yes, he was very good. Just popping the tape against the Houston Astros. He was excellent against the Astros this year. And guess what? Every team in the American League needs to build a roster to beat the Houston Astros. So I could see other teams in the American League wanting their hands on Dylan Cease, knowing what they need to do to fix Dylan Cease, Jim. The White Sox and Eat the Cats may not know, but other teams, I've just got this feeling, are just itching, like, please get mm -hmm. us Dylan Cease. We know the one adjustment he needs to make, and then he's going to be Corbin Burns. Like, please get Dylan Cease for us. Like, I could just see other teams begging their front offices, especially other analysts and pitching coaches, etc., cetera, uh, wanting to work with Dylan Cease and his arsenal. That's where I think these trade talks may not go away. But until these free agent starters sign, I just don't see a team jumping mm -hmm. the market, if that makes sense, to acquire Dylan Cease before Yamamoto, Snell, or Nola have signed elsewhere. Yeah, I guess Eduardo Rodriguez is out there, and he's decent. Uh, you know, Sonny Gray is another one who I think pitched well for the Twins in that kind of... Yeah, but you're not... Yeah, but you're not like... But I guess it depends on like whether they feel like Cease is going to be that Cy Young runner-up or if he's just going to be like a guy who makes 30 starts. And some are good, some are bad, but he struggles to get out of the fifth inning, sixth inning. Like if they're trying to ask, you know, demand, uh, I guess, 
a trade that makes it more along paying the White Sox for his 2023 form versus his 2022 form. That's where I think you could see like a discrepancy between like what the White Sox feel Cease is worth versus what they're willing to pay based on like if Cease pitches as well as Eduardo Rodriguez does or Sonny Gray does, uh, then I think that's what's going to make it tricky about this particular time. Also, here's where I'm interested in what Brian Bannister has to say about Dylan Cease, like bringing him in. Like if the if the Giants were like, say, looking at Dylan Cease as a potential trade target and the Giants talked to Bannister about Cease before he was a member of the White Sox organization, like he might be able to bring in like, here's what other teams are saying about what they think they can do for Dylan Cease. Let's try to do that for Dylan Cease first. And yeah. then, you know, three months in, if the White Sox are looking like an, another 100 loss season and Cease is going to be a free agent after 2025, maybe his trade stock is higher than it was. Uh, even though you'll have like a, a you know, half season less of Cease's services, perhaps getting him back to something closer to that 2022 form is going to be more appealing to teams where they do pony up a little bit more. So that's why I think the White Sox aren't going to be particularly motivated to move him because like they need his ability to make 32 starts regardless. And if Bannister is around saying like, now I have an idea, let's not sell low on this guy. Then it just, they might not find the prices to their liking. Or they might say like, here's a major league ready shortstop and a a ball outfielder. Who's an athlete. And the white Sox might say, well, how about that double a pitcher as well? Uh, who we like, and who's a top 100 prospect and teams balking at that price. Like the white Sox might not be able to ask for that kind of demand right now, but maybe in a few months, if Bannister has a notion that he can implement to where cease is closer to where he was two years ago, uh, maybe those talks become a little bit more heated to where like the white Sox actually feel motivated to move him. Even if it is a blow to their current rotation. Yeah, I get where you're coming from from a White Sox perspective. I'm looking at this from the other, let's say, 28 teams. I'm not going to include the Oakland A's in this. What the other 28 teams and why White Sox fans are hearing that teams are calling about Dylan Cease because yeah. I still believe other teams do view Dylan Cease as the top of rotation talent. Now, yes, we could debate if he actually is because we have – one mediocre year in 2023 and one outstanding season in 2022. Yes, there was 2021 and 2020 uh, to factor in, but the last two years, because it's sounding like that's how teams are evaluating and how they're going to be attacking free agency. Don't look at the last five years, by the way. Everything seems to be based on the models. Look at the last two to three years on how guys are progressing. So analysts are shortening that window. Again, if Yamamoto signs early, if Nola signs, if Snell signs, let's say they all sign when we're in Nashville for the winter meetings. That's why I think White Sox fans are going to continue to hear these rumors or read these types of paragraphs and notebooks from the national writers that while the White Sox are not shopping Dylan Cease, to your point, Jim, because maybe Brian Bannister wants to mm -hmm. work with Cease and has some adjustments to – to work with CSON to get him back more to the 2022 front. So again, they're not looking to move Dylan Cease, but teams continue to call on Dylan Cease 
And they leaked this to the national reporters to remind the White Sox when their front office is picking up and reading all this material that, oh, yeah, I've got about seven missed text messages right now from other baseball GMs because they're still bugging me about Dylan Cease. Again, I believe Dylan Cease will be the opening day starter for the Chicago White Sox in 2024. However, I feel like he's got 15 more starts with the White Sox, Jim, because at this point where the team is and where I'm expecting them to expecting them to be at the trade deadline, I think Dylan Cease could be like Luis Castillo a couple years ago for Cincinnati with that trade to Seattle. And uh, I think Cease is going to follow the fire sale that we saw this previous year with all these pitchers and getting dealt. But it'd be a much larger return for the White Sox since he'll have a year and a half left on his deal. Yeah, I mean, like he's, you know, the 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 slider is still good, if not great. The fastball velocity is still there, and it's a matter of cutting it. So, like, yeah, there have always been ways to solve him. So, I think, you know, to your point, there will be a lot of interest, but it's just hard to see the fit right now, especially if Getz wants to maybe not have a contender, but not a joke. Like, if he wants to restore some credibility to the way the White Sox play then it's hard to see Cease out of there and like Jesse Schultons being the number two starter yeah. <laughs> the season. Like you would think that, you know, he would just need to get off on a better, you know, better first couple months before like assessing what they have, realizing like how much do we have for 2025 or is 2026 going to be the year internally when it comes to how much pitching the White Sox have. And so I think they can, they can kick the can on that a little bit, but the, yeah, the reason why the team should inquire, but it just, I, I don't see the uh, motivation being there for the White Sox to do so yet. Yes. Yeah. I think again, there's two perspectives and I think you are right from White Sox perspective. You can call, we'll talk, but we're not serious in moving Dylan cease. But I do think there are, there is serious yeah. interest outside of Chicago for Dylan cease. And that is where I think some arguments are made about, well, White Sox fans, Dylan Cease wasn't that good in 2023. I assure you, yes, the final results weren't good, but the stuff that he has is what will make teams want to pick up the phone because they think they can make him better than the White Sox can. I can see and other teams saying them. like, yeah, I can see other teams saying like, let's make this deal now. And I can see the White Sox saying, let's put a pin in it and revisit the same package in June. Exactly. You know, just yeah. two different timetables. Yeah, and that's what the GM meetings are about, coming full circle in this episode. That's where these conversations are made. That's where the White Sox stupidly decided that Oscar Colas was their plan A for right field, and we wasted all that time last year talking about right field options for the White Sox, and they didn't even bother trying to solve that position. Jerks. Well, that's why they're unemployed. But we'll see what comes out of these uh, GM meetings. I'm sure there'll be more whispers and gossip and rumors coming from Scottsdale Arizona, and we'll be covering that, of course, on SoxMachine.com. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Sox Machine Podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. And you can also watch the podcast on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash machine. If you do watch our videos, please subscribe to our channel. We'll greatly appreciate it as you'll be notified when new videos are uploaded into the channel. And you can follow us on social media. We're we're on all the platforms at Sox Machine. You can follow me there at Sox Machine underscore Josh. If you enjoy our work and you want more, you can get more of it 
by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash machine. We are going to be having our Patreon Town Hall meeting on Tuesday in November 7th at 8 p.m. Central Time. It is just for Patreon members. So, again, if you have enjoyed our work and you would like to help support us, the Town Hall gives us a, an opportunity to present on how 2023 went and some of the things that we're thinking about doing in 2024. So again, uh, if you enjoy your work and you want more and you want to learn more about Socks Machine, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine where monthly plans start at $2 or you can save with an annual subscription. The Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching.